0: The island of Guam has been dubbed the US's unsinkable aircraft carrier. The bombs that the US dropped on Vietnam were stored and loaded there. One third of its modest landmass is under military control at the expense of the Chamorro indigenous people. Guam, if you're not sure about where it is, is pretty much due north of Melbourne on an imaginary line heading up through Papua New Guinea into the Pacific and it's due east of the Philippine capital of Manila. It's not well known in Australia, but it's a vital part of the U.S.'s chain of bases that threaten China's east coast and block Chinese access to the West Pacific. U.S. bases on Guam, which is the largest island in the Marianas, include the Anderson Air Force Base, which hosts 8,000 U.S. military personnel and their families. There's another 5,000 U.S. Marines relocating from the Japanese island of Okinawa, And the Pentagon is planning a build-up involving more submarines, which sounds very familiar to those of us in Australia, ship repair facilities, and a 1.3 billion missile defence system. So the island's size and strategic location gives it great value to US war plans. And to quote General Kenneth Wilsbach, who is the US Pacific Air Force's commander, the amount of firepower that we could generate from that island is tremendous. The airfield itself is enormous with two runways, lots of parking areas, a very large munition storage area. The excitement is really scary. All of this is happening as the Australian government is welcoming more U.S. Marines to Darwin and has agreed to let the U.S. base potentially nuclear-armed B-52 bombers in the Northern Territory. Guam and Australia are both potential players in a U.S. war on China, a war that would be completely disastrous for ordinary people everywhere. And anti-war activists in Guam and Australia have a common interest in uniting to stop the warmongers. To discuss these issues, we're joined today by Maria Hernandez. Maria is an indigenous Chamorro environmental and cultural rights activist. She is on the board of Micronesia Climate Change Alliance and an organizer with Ihagan Famaloan Guahan, a group which fosters the social, economic, cultural, spiritual and political well-being of of Chamorro women, girls and gender diverse people. And US militarism is very personal for her. Maria is a lineal descendant of ancestral land in Guam called Ritidian, which is proposed to be used as a buffer zone for a new US marine live fire training range complex. And she organises with Hita Lexian a coalition of Chomaroo families pushing back against the plan. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Narm or Melbourne, and... For Maria and non-Australian listeners, the Wurundjeri are the First Nations traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording this episode. So welcome, Maria.
1: Thank you so much, David. It's so nice to be here speaking with you today. I really appreciate the invite.
0: Well, first up, I'm, I'm sorry to say that most Australians probably don't know that much about Guam. Could you get us underway by giving us a quick sketch of the island's history and what life is like, particularly for indigenous people today?
1: Sure. I think, you know, the way that we are typically described across the world, when people think of Guam, what they tend to hear is that we are described as one big military base, that we are at the tip of the spear, that we are a gas station for U.S. presidents <laughs> on their stops to other places. And, you know, the reality is that we are a beautiful island. We're 36 miles long, and we are the southernmost island of the Marianas Archipelago. We have a deep and rich history and you know, there's there's just so much about our island that really puts a spotlight on the ways that we as the Chamorro people are resilient people. That we have so many hurdles and barriers that keep us from realizing our full potential. For example, our political status as a colony of the United States—one of seventeen colonies left in the world. And yet we still rise above all that is, is, you know, being placed against us. And I think that that's one way that I would describe the choro people is just we are extremely just so resilient. And we are known for being a hospitable people, a generous people. And I feel like that is something that has made us an easy target in a sense. And so today we have many groups here in Guam. We have about 20 different groups that are organizing in response to a massive mega buildup. um, And we'll probably go into more detail on that further in the episode. But we are... At, at this moment, it's a very critical time, it's a very scary time, because we are not just fighting to protect our land from contamination, but we are also trying to raise awareness and organize to protect our main water source, our primary water source is being threatened by the establishment of a U.S. Marine live fire training range complex. It's a 700-acre firing range complex in northern Guam. Uh, And 6.7 million bullets are proposed to be shot above our freshwater aquifer that provides our community with about 90% of our drinking water. And so we are doing the best that we can to organize, to build solidarity, to raise awareness about the risks to our health, to future generations and so many we're we're not alone so many people are around the world are experiencing the same things and yeah I just um, we can probably go into it later but uh, just finished a trip uh, a couple I traveled to a couple places over the course of the last year for a fellowship project on water contamination and, and the effects of US imperialism uh, in the Pacific region. And I spoke with organizers in Hawaii and what they're experiencing out in Red Hill, brothers and sisters in the Northern Mariana Islands, what what you know, we are experiencing in the Marianas as a whole with the military expansion. And I'm happy to speak to you today to to, learn even more about what your experiences are out there in Australia
0: and I hope that uh, this podcast is a small contribution to raising awareness of your struggles and your issues in Australia colonization obviously has had a huge impact Uh, correct me if I'm wrong but you are a a US citizen but you don't have the right to vote Uh, I understand that the US military encourages soldiers and marines to go, you know to go to Guam because of the fantastic beaches, the golf courses, the facilities, the hospitals whereas for Chamorro people those facilities are much weaker the hospital system is 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 underfunded and there's a high level of poverty so is, is that an accurate description of the situation you face
1: I would say that living in Guam is becoming increasingly more difficult for, especially for us as Indigenous people, there are impacts, and there are there are scientific studies that show the direct uh, relations and congruency between the U.S. military presence and the health of the community, uh, crime rates in a community, and uh, there was a, a actually a study in the '90s that looked at death certificates over a twenty five. Uh, year period that found that the villages of Gigo and Santa Rita had the highest incidences of cancer, and these are two villages with um, the, the largest military base presence. So all around, all around, we're seeing so so many so many impacts from from their presence here and. It's just it's kind of a it can be debilitating especially as people organizing on the front lines it's a lot to take in it's it's like whenever we have a little victory and move one step forward we're pushed ten steps back but at the end of the day, you know I I've, I've kind of reached this point in my activism where I'm trying to I, I see I see the beauty in the solidarity that we are building in Guam and throughout the Pacific region and around the world. And I'm trying to kind of frame my perspective to to not view us as victims and instead view us as people who are rising and people who have never backed down, who have continued to resist.
0: And obviously, I'm not an indigenous person here in Australia, but I can tell you that is very much the message from First Nations people in Australia that uh, they continue with solidarity from non-indigenous people to resist the impact of invasion and and colonisation. How do you as a Chamorro woman feel when the colonisers who control your land and have the impact on your life that you've started to describe, when they tell you that China is the big threat? How do you interpret that message?
1: I think when we're living day to day and we're experiencing so many threats, so many threats to our, our resources, our land resources, our water resources, our main aquifer for our people, and then and then we're told that, you know, the US military is here to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. That's something that obviously, as activists, as organizers that we continue to call to question because. There's no security in the contamination of our freshwater source. Uh, you know, there's there's just no. It's just there's no feeling of safety when entire ancient villages are cleared for military base facilities and parking lots. It's it's interesting. It's it's interesting. It's it's a theme that that I've heard many times. Uh, you know, just that. China's a big threat and and national security comes first. But something that organizers here in Guam have been really trying to stress is that we need to think about domestic security first. How can we continue to keep our people thriving when when our children are looking up at us? I have three young children, uh, six and under and there are so many people in the community here it's 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 you know there's no wonder that most or you know many of us activists here in guam are mothers because when we look down at our children and they really give us this you know they place their full trust in us to protect them you know that's why we do this work and that's why we are standing on the roadside with our signs that's why we are meeting with local officials meeting with military officials over the years holding holding public hearings just getting really involved and trying to protect our our you know our children and our community from the disastrous and destructive impacts of this military mega buildup yeah it's 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 a lot, really a lot to take in.
0: And it must be tough because one third of the island, which in metric is 48 kilometers long by eight kilometers wide, which isn't really that big. One third is taken up by the bases. So how possible is it or is it possible to live a normal life as if the American military isn't looking over your shoulder all the time?
1: Yes, that is correct. We are definitely a hyper militarized island, but one third of our island is occupied by the US military everywhere you drive. Everywhere you drive, you see the presence of the military here in Guam. Our main road here in Guam is called Marine Corps Drive. And we are just bombarded with military propaganda left and right. I think that the bases, the bases here in Guam, they are, you know, we're told, we're, we're constantly told that they're here and they're good for the economy. And I feel like that's something that organizers across the Pacific that are tired of the... You know, military expansion impacting their resources. That's something that they they tend to say as well. It's a lot. It's a lot to to organize in the colony where the where the military presence is so obtuse. And I guess one thing that I would say is that. In Guam and maybe in other parts of the world as well, I've, I've also heard in Hawaii and in the Northern Marianas that this is true. That there's there tends to be this sense of pride within families. Sometimes, uh, you know, in, in some families, there are generations of their family members who have who have served in the military. And so it's it's interesting as an organizer trying to like strike that balance and really making it clear that this work that we're doing is not against any particular individual or person, that we're being critical of the system, the system that does not prioritize indigenous rights and you know, indigenous land rights, indigenous human rights, uh, and human rights in general, because it's not just the Chamorro people that are being impacted here in Guam is everybody that that calls our island home. Hmm.
0: And you mentioned the the threat to the aquifer. How does how does the military justify that because how is Guam useful to them if people don't have water to drink, clean water? And what are the other environmental impacts? There must be with a third of the landmass under military control, there must be other environmental impacts, whether it's on fauna or flora or air quality or whatever?
1: Our aquifer, yes, our aquifer, there are a couple of groups right now that are organizing in protection of our aquifer. The military, the ways that they kind of justify projects that that they are moving forward with in our island is they come out with these statements about mitigation. And so They continue to tell the community that there are measures in place to keep our aquifer safe. Or, you know, when they clear ancient settlements, they you know they try to paint it paint this picture where they are preserving one particular site on on the area that that. And 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 it's interesting because the Department of Defense tends to dictate to us as a people what is and what isn't sacred and what should be protected of the areas that they're developing. So, I mean, even just saying that out loud is—it's heartbreaking. It's heart, its a—it's a really a heartbreaking reality to have a colonial power tell you as the Tao-Tao-Tano, the people of this land, that they can determine what is and what isn't sacred. And so that's kind of what we were hearing in the very beginning when they were clearing, so far they've cleared about 900 football fields of our pristine limestone forest. And, and really, the last of our limestone forest, endemic limestone forest here in Guam, their uh, representatives in the media would come out and say, "Well, these these areas are not sacred," just quote unquote, they're not sacred. You know, it's 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 devastating. With our water, they're saying that there there's going to be monitoring wells, and our people are coming back and saying. Monitoring walls really only catch contamination after the fact, after it's already happened. And considering the U.S. military has a poor track record of transparency, how transparent can they really be uh, with the community? And, you know, it's just something that we are very, very concerned about. And and that's the reason why many of us are not really budging or not really settling with the statements that they make about mitigation, because at the end of the day, we shouldn't be placing any risk whatsoever on our main water source. And I feel like when you look at communities in for example, Oahu, Hawaii, what they're experiencing at Red Hill, the military poisoned the aquifer there there was jet fuel coming out of the sinks out of out of you know like like community members were turning on the tap and seeing oil at the top of of their water and the department of defense was still telling them that the water was safe to drink and still to this day Organizers are trying to put a stop and close down the Red Hill fuel tanks, which the Department of Defense continues to stall and not take action. So I kind of look at that as a cautionary t- tale for Guam when we have so many people here who are pro-military, right? And they're, they put their full trust... And the Department of Defense is an entity that will keep our communities safe and they have the resources to keep us protected um, and and ensure that measures are in place that, that will keep our water safe. But the reality is that in other communities where their water is already poisoned by the Department of Defense, you just don't see an urgency on their part and, and it's scary for us as a tiny island. You know, we, we are just doing whatever we can at this point to raise awareness, to keep our water safe. And uh, like I mentioned, the travels that I did last year was for um, a fellowship film project specific to water. So uh, it's, it's called For Love of Water. I'm actually releasing them on YouTube later this week. Maybe I can send them to you to put them in the show notes. But it really takes a look at some of the common trends and patterns that you see across the Pacific with regard to military presence in these areas.
0: No, we'll be very happy to share those links. Not, not a problem at all. Now, as you said, you're not victims, you're fighters. You said there's about 20 organizations mobilizing what against just the military presence, or against, uh, around which issues? So, how are local people, how are Chomaru people, organizing to resist?
1: We've come together over the last few years, maybe over, over a decade, just to you know, in response to military buildup plans, and we've we. I feel like we've done everything, really, you know. I mean, we've exhausted so many different efforts that really le- we're being pushed almost to civil unrest at this point. Uh, you know, we've we've met with local leaders. You know, our own governor has said that it's our political status that gives us. You know, it doesn't give us political leverage to make these important decisions. Uh, you know, to to make these these decisions that are best for our resources, for our natural and our cultural resources, and you know our our community groups. I'm part of a couple, um, but we are part of coalitions as well. There's a Finogi coalition, and we we have have you know we've outlined it for our our leaders. You know, these are our asks and nothing none of our requests have been implemented but one of the one of the requests that we had made as a coalition is to just put forth a complete halt to military build up plans to reassess the impacts on our people on our island we just don't have we just don't have the ability to do that as a colony of the U- U.S., which is why so many of us are pushing for decolonization. You know, there shouldn't be any colonies left in 2023. You know, we're one of 17 colonies left in the world, and that's that's it, always insane for me to say out loud. Um, but yeah, there needs to be a change, and we've been calling for a referendum to vote to to finally vote on our preferred political status option and you know that has been hindered if if you know anybody's interested to look further into that there was an expat who came to guam lived here for many years and then asserted that he feels he should have the right to vote for guam's political status and something that we as as a Funogi coalition have always asserted, asserted and continue to assert is that it's about righting a wrong. And when you talk about decolonization, I mean, it really should be the indigenous people that, that decide, that make that decision on their behalfs on what would happen or, or, you know, the political future of our Island. And so, Unfortunately, this expat succeeded in the courts, which, you know, the courts are not designed to, you know, to prioritize Indigenous peoples. And and so that, unfortunately, was the result of his efforts. And, yeah, so we continue to call for decolonization, tomorrow decolonization. And... That's something that you know my films kind of cover as well. So, yeah, if, if anybody would like to learn more, please check those out. You
0: know, as I say, we'll we'll share the links with uh, with pleasure. And it strikes me the situation you face is is quite similar to the Kanak people of New Caledonia, for instance, who want independence and get outvoted in successive referendums by essentially French settlers who have the right to vote and have the right to vote against against independence. There's even an echo of that in the situation of the people of West Papua who of course are not being given any any choice whatsoever and where Indonesia is both colonising and attempting to shift the demographic balance. So the story you tell is is not an isolated one. You mentioned that you both personally and as a movement, are in contact with the people in the Northern Marianas and Hawaii and so on. What are those Pacific alliances looking like?
1: They're very powerful alliances. I think it makes all of us feel like, you know, we're not alone in this massive, you know, it's it's a David and Goliath battle. Uh, and so, and, and it can be lonesome and it can be, downright depressing and, you know, it's, it's it's a lot to take in and and so just to know that we have, you know, our relatives, our cousins in the Pacific that are going through the same thing and then working to uplift each other's stories has been really powerful. Uh, you know, we're, we're all connected through the internet, social media is a tool that's being used to circulate all of our stories. Yeah, I would I would say that it that you know, it's been it's been great to to build solidarity and 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 it's only growing. Like even even now speaking to you in this podcast, you know, that's a way to to build solidarity and I'm sure that you're in connection with the indigenous communities out there as well. And so you know, there's been some talk about all getting together in person and, you know, having some, some sort of way to keep in touch and really, I, I would say, uh, meeting folks in person that I had been organizing with for a few years online and then finally meeting, meeting them in person last year was, it was amazing to just be able to hug them and let them know that they're not alone. And yeah, so... It's been great and and we're only building solidarity from here. And I feel like that's really the only way that we're going to be able to create change in this, you know, in this struggle that we're all facing. Solidarity really is the way to go.
0: Absolutely. One question about American politics and how it impacts on you, there is a sort of a an assumption amongst a lot of progressive people in Australia that the Democrats are better than the Republicans. I think it's a very lazy assumption. It's very easy to shoot it down. But nonetheless, it's there as a sort of like a a common sense. But from the point of view of the tomorrow people, from the point of view of the military build-up, does it actually make any difference to you whether the Democrats or the Republicans are in charge in Washington?
1: You know, in my personal experience... It really is you know there, there's no difference. like we here in our communities have organized, regardless of whether there is a you know Democrat or Republican in office. at the end of the day, both parties support. US imperialism and we need to you know do do whatever we can to really put a stop to these war games that are impacting the lives of communities all around the world.
0: Absolutely. Well, Australia is unfortunately a key US ally. I say unfortunately because lots of us disagree with that. It's been a base for America for a long time. There's very important satellite spy stations at Pine Gap and Northwest Cape, without which, for instance, US drones missile strikes and so on would not be possible. And as I mentioned, that military alliance is deepening. Uh, there will be more US Marines in Darwin in the Northern Territory. There will be uh, a presence of B-52 bombers. And Australia has signed up to an agreement with the US and the UK called AUKUS, uh, which at the, uh, the cutting edge is a deal to, for Australia to buy eight nuclear-powered submarines which have no other function other than to fight in a war alongside the US Navy against China in the South China Seas. So there's a growing campaign here in Australia, small, but we're, we're, we're getting organised uh, and protests and forums and so on being organised. What advice from your experience uh, would you give to people in Australia who want to stand up against imperialism and this increase in militarism and the threat of war?
1: I would say that if where you live is similar to Guam in that there's propaganda everywhere, there's mass clearings happening across your home, don't become desensitized. It's easy to become desensitized to the destruction, but at the end of the day, it's violence. It's violence against the land, violence against the water and it's a threat to the health of future generations when you look like i said earlier when you look down at your nannies, at your children they look at you to protect them we need to stand together in protection of our communities and the way that the u.s military tends to try to put forth this idea that they are compromising with us and 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 you know there's there's mitigation in place to ensure your safety when there are communities around the world who are literally drinking jet fuel you know don't don't buy into that and you know for me as a descendant of landowner families whose land was stolen in the 60s by the federal government for national defense purposes. I'm a fifth generation descendant of landowners, Chamorro landowners who are still in spirit inspiring us and our generation to continue to advocate for the return of our ancestral homeland. Protect your land. That's what I, That's what I have to say. Money comes and goes. They're going to try to tell you the economy, you know, the economy will be boosted through these projects. Money will come and go, land is forever. So protect your land, protect your water, protect your resources, because that's going to be genuine security for you and for your children, for generations.
0: Okay, thank you, Marie. That's really well put. You have our solidarity. We're thousands of kilometers pretty much due south of you. You have our solidarity. I hope that more people will uh, find out about your situation and about your struggles because of the podcast. And perhaps we'll speak again in the future, especially, I hope you score some victories and you'll be able to share those victories with us.
1: Thank you so much, David. Yes, let's stay connected. If you ever want to do another chat, You know my email. Let's continue to build this solidarity. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thank you.